everybody. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. So glad you're tuning in. We are here today with Timothy John Stafford, Bonnie Gail Lewis, and Michael Carl Erie, present and accounted for, and um, and still alive mm-hmm. in quarantine. Um, I, my quarantine haircut kind of is. I'm, I'm built for this. Yes, um, you are. You guys, you know, may not be. I'm not sure. Uh, I've just stopped all cutting of hair in general. <laughs> I haven't. I don't have any dreads yet, so I feel like that's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good sign. <laughs> the bar is so low for my oh. hair. <laughs> is it? Has it? I would love to see you pop up on one of these calls though with just a full head of dreads. Full, just, just fro, full. Like the whole screen is taken over, and then there's this little face. Beautiful. You know that uh, I I'd led a missions trip to Jamaica years and years and years ago, and so I read the whole um, Rastafarian Bible just to read it before we went. And one of the interesting things about dreadlocks is that it's the uh, it's a form of the Nazarite vow. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't know that it still is, but that's where a lot of the roots came from. Was this idea of like Samson not cutting your hair? Mm. And, who knew? That's your uh, little tidbit of information for today's episode. Oh, right. A Rastafarian <laughs> update from uh, Timothy Stafford. Yeah. Rastafarian update from the whitest dude in California. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Bonnie, who are we talking to today? Yeah, so today we interviewed Rabbi Nahum Wardlev, and he is um, like he's a rabbi and he's like a spiritual director, and he wrote this book called "The Liberating Path of the Hebrew Prophets Then and Now." And so I picked up that book, I read it, and it was so fascinating to me. He does a really good job of going into the spiritual side of some of the things we read in the Old Testament. So originally we wanted to have him on and talk to us about Passover. So we booked him actually a few months ago. And then when we started recording, he said, I just, I would love to talk about Passover, but I want to do it sort of in light of um, the coronavirus and what it means that like today we are in sort of this almost like a plague i mean really and in our own sort of wilderness so it was really neat he did a great job i feel like of going into a spiritual side of things in terms of liberation and what that means and i'm really excited because his take on it will be very great juxtaposed to another guest we have coming up um, Amy Jill Levine, who's also, she's a Jewish theologian. So, and she's going to talk to us about like the Jewish background of Jesus. So it'll be really neat to see these two different sides um, of people's take on it. So, yeah. Yeah. And just a preface, a precursor, um, Rabbi's phone call audio was cutting in and out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I left all, almost all of it in there. I took out a little bit, but Mostly just because a lot of the things that he was saying were, um, we were loving and ha- kind of having fun interacting with. So it's a, some of it can be a little bit more arduous to listen to than other sections, but I left it in there because I think that if you're, if you put a little bit of work into pulling out the things that he's saying, it's worth, it's worth going through it. Yeah. Agreed. Here we go. Hello and welcome. We are so excited. I am so excited. Um, We have on one of my newest favorite authors, 
Rabbi Nahum Wardlev, and I was introduced to him through the Rob Bell podcast, and he wrote his newest book. He's written many books, but his newest book is called The Liberating Path of the Hebrew Prophets Then and Now. And so I picked it up because his interview was so compelling and it changed me. It was so good and I thought it brought such um, a fresh take. It just like opened up the scriptures in so many ways. And so we really wanted to have you on and we are so glad you're here. So welcome to the podcast. And um, why don't you tell just um, the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do, where you live, and maybe even how you became a rabbi or how long you've been one. Hi, Bob. I'm I'm really happy and um, honored to be here with you on on the podcast. I live in New Mexico, and um, what I do here mainly is I um, I lead a, a study group, Beit Midrash, which means House of Exploration, and it's a multi faith study group that seeks wisdom in studying scriptures. And so that's been going on for, for 20 years. And I see people for spiritual direction, both here in Santa Fe and all over the country. And I lead retreats and workshops at churches, synagogues, seminaries, retreat centers uh, awesome. across the country. So that's uh, what I do. That is great. That's, that's fascinating. Um, and so in your... This is your, I'm correct in saying this is your most recent book. Is that Actually, right? It, it is, is my one and only book. Oh, really? Yes. I just assumed that you had written so many because yeah. it was so good. Um, okay, well, you. one and, you're welcome. So everyone needs to go buy it. Um, but the things about um, what you do in this book that I absolutely loved is you have everything through this lens of um, the Israelites and people seeking liberation. And um, specifically, something that caught my eye is I think as the as a person that was brought up in the church and part of the Christian faith, I know a lot of the bullet points about sort of what Passover is, but it stops there for many people. Um, I'd like to think that I sometimes might know more than the average because I also went to seminary, but then I read a work like yours. And I realized there's so much spiritual depth to something like the Passover that it's not just these static events in history, but it's something um, that we revisit as a as a ritual or as a sacred space now for a very spiritual reason. Um, and as you and I were discussing just a little bit even before the call, there's such a tie here to liberation. So I wanted to have you on so you could talk to us about that, not only about sort of what the Passover is as we're coming up on Easter for the for the Christian community, um, but also the ties of this unique season that we find ourselves in um, with this global pandemic. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, I think that the place I'd like to start is that the, the, uh, the folks that brought together the Hebrew scriptures uh, I believe that they're divinely inspired, but gathered and, and redacted by humans. The humans that, that brought together these divinely inspired scriptures were seeking to create a society that was an alternative society to the oppressive empires that they saw all around them and that they saw even in their own midst um, 
developing, you know, that, that, that you know, essentially came out of, as you know from reading the book, came out of folks that had fleed, fled from Canaanite, the, the oppression of Canaanite cities and went to the highlands, the unsettled highlands of um, Canaan to create an alternative society. And so this sort of liberation was at the core of their mission. How do we yeah. be an alternative and flourish? Mm. And so <clears throat> the holidays that they celebrate are, are, are deeply tied to this sense of being on a, a liberation journey. And so in the Bible, there are three pilgrimage festivals, three holidays in which the, the people actually made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, um, Passover, uh, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and Sukkot, the, the, the Feast of the Tabernacle. And these holidays, uh, for now cultural people, tied the agricultural seasons to the theme of liberation. Mm. So that Passover is the, you know, the springtime holiday, and it's the, the holiday of uh, you know, the, the, the beginning of the greening of, 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 of the world. And also for shepherds, it was a time of lambing, so of, of giving birth. And so Passover was this sense of, as Easter, this birth. And then, right. and then um, Shavuot is the next holiday, uh, 50 days later, which is the mountaintop holiday when they receive the Ten Commandments. And that's the, the holiday of, of the beginning of the harvest, the first harvest. And Sukkot is the end of the, is the festival of the ingathering of the, of the harvest and the fruits of the harvest in, in, the, in the fall. And we have these three agricultural holidays that the people saw in liberation terms. And so Passover becomes the beginning of the liberation journey. And Shavuot becomes when they receive the, the law from God, the Torah from God, Mount Sinai. And the third one, Tabernacles, Sukkot, becomes a, a celebration of the journey itself in the, wil in the wilderness. Mm. So w one thing I just add about that, it's meaningful to me that the Torah ends with Moses dying and the people being in the wilderness. I mean, there is the book after the, the fifth book, the sixth book in the Bible, which is not Torah, the Torah is a five, the sixth book, Joshua is the entry into the land of uh, of the promised land and the redactors who put together the, the Bible and the Torah could have made the Torah have six books. And it would, yeah. would have been a good story to end with arriving in the promised land. Yeah, but they it would be a great story. <laughs> yeah, a great story. We'd love that story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That ends in a little bit of a downer otherwise. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it ends with, with, with uh, Moses dying and the people in the wilderness. Yeah. And, 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 and our festival of Sukkot, the Harvest Festival, could have easily been celebrating the arrival in the land, but it's not. It's mm -hmm. the, we build these booths and the Harvest Festival to remember the journey in the wilderness. Yeah. It's to say it's a liberation journey. It's to say that, that, that the human journey is an ongoing, we, we never get to the promised land. We, we get mm -hmm. further in, in terms of what, life offers us. We get closer to God. We, we become more loving. We can build our communities stronger. But we're all on this sense of whatever limits whatever we've, we've attained is always more that God is offering us. I and mean, that's really what it means to be touched by God. I mean, God is infinite. And, and so there's always more potential. So I think that sense of this ongoing liberation journey that starts with Passover, you know, it, it, it is core uh, yeah. to the Bible. And I love that you said... Um 
you you really flip that meaning of wilderness. I think, um, and I'm kind of drawing connections right now. Like somebody, I saw um, something on the internet that said, you know, you aren't being, staying at home isn't like being, um, it's not a negative thing. It's keeping you safe at home, right? It's not like right now for our shelter in place, like being at home is actually um, its own type of wilderness in a sense. And I absolutely love that you translated, um, I believe you did, tell me if I am remembering this wrong, um, but when you're talking about the wilderness, you talk about it being the wider place. Yes. Um, yeah, can you touch on that a bit? That was very profound for me. Yeah, well, first of all, I love what you just said, which is for us now, the wilderness is being at home. I mean, we're not used to living this way. It, we, we're all learning new ways. Wilderness, in the sense of it's the unknown, it's an adventure. Yeah, yeah. We have to we have to develop new ways. You know. So, I mean, also in Christianity, you know, that Jesus' first move, as I understand it, and please correct me, is he's drawn into the wilderness too. I mean, leaving yeah. behind the settled places. You know, and yeah. So I think it's really important, I mean, that <clears throat> these Hebrew scriptures are a testament calling people continually into the wilderness, to step into the unknown, to go places that they don't exactly know how they're going to fully manage it. It's beyond their control. You know, yeah. another way to say it is, you know, we would like to domesticate this we our world, to be in yeah. control, to have certainty, to diminish vulnerability, and testimony of the scriptures is this is God's world. And God is in continually inviting us into new places and place, it's not in our control. You know? And so yeah. the, you know, the, the, the great scholar Walter Brueggemann says that there's two different um, themes in, in narratives in the Bible is the royal narrative, the, the narrative of the elites, which is command and control. Like we've got this all control. Don't worry about it. We've got it in control. Just do what we say and you'll be fine. We'll keep you safe. Yeah. And the royal, the, the, the prophetic narrative is actually, if you want to fulfill your destiny as a human, as a human society, you need to step out into the unknown. You need to take risks yeah. to go into places that you don't feel control, but, but God is with you. And that's the core message that, that, that God journeys with you and fills you with the potential to respond and, creative and life-giving ways in the midst of, of this wilderness. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I love that you said that because I think sometimes we can have this picture, especially in a sense of this, of this pandemic, um, where there, we are so divided, right? Um, first, it was globally. It was, it was It's only a, uh, a virus that was over there and affecting them. And then it sort of got yes. closer and suddenly <laughs> it's affecting us. And so there's this disassociation a little bit but at the same time it was still hitting us because we're all connected in a way and so when you just said that about how there's these two different narratives that strikes me because even when we're looking at things like the Passover or um, that we're all sort of in this new wilderness there is such a way and an invitation for us to read the scriptures to say this happened to them but there's an ongoing thing that can happen inside me. Um, like what you said in your book, you said the people um, the people are to recall the Exodus as if they had personally experienced the liberation themselves. And I thought that was so fascinating because that requires a posture and a deep connection 
to knowing we need a liberation of something. Yes, yes. The essence of Passover is we're not celebrating what happened then. Mm. We are celebrating our own conviction to be on a liberation journey mm. ourselves. Yeah. You know? And it, and in this moment, you know, the, the one of the many strange things about this moment is we're so isolated from each other, and so we understand more deeply how much we need each other. And we've learned in a profound way the world is deeply, deeply interconnected. That, you know, what happens in some little marketplace three-quarters of the way around the world comes, you know. And so um, in, the, in the Bible, in the prophets in particular, what the liberation journey is all about is entering more deeply into mutual reciprocal relationship. You know, and to be in a loving society. You know, I think that Dr. Martin Luther King had exactly right. You know, how to be the beloved community. You know, that that what what freedom is is not the freedom to do whatever please. That's liberty. Yeah. Is, yeah. But what freedom is is the ability to enter more deeply into love, deeply into relationship, more deeply into, into being connected to each other. And so it's so much the challenge of this time of. You know, I mean, it's clear we need to do this together. You know, our government here in New Mexico got, got on the radio yesterday at a press conference. Basically, she said, doing all that we can. We're, and she listed all the doing, you know, at, at the state level, local level, uh, in, in regard to the pandemic. And she said, but we can't do this if you do not shelter in place, that our efforts yeah. fall short. Mm. And we, the, the only way we're through this is together, you know. Yeah. And... I mean, can we learn, this is a lesson, can we learn this lesson of, we need to be in this together, we need to be concerned about the welfare of everybody. If there's a, a community or a nation where the virus is raging, it's going to come here and so we've got to take care of them. That feels so essential for us to learn in, in this time. And I think that the liberation journey is how do we journey out of whatever limitations to seeing the other. Yeah. You know, what blinds us from uh, seeing the needs of the other? What, what blocks our hearts from caring for the other? And what liberation is, is moving beyond that a step towards, towards the other. Oh, yeah. No, I love that you said that. That struck me, too. You said something just like that in the book, and you're talking about the role of the prophets. Mm -hmm. And you say um, they hold all of Israel, Israel responsive responsible for the corrupted state of this society this idea that like you just said um we all play a part i can do my part you can do your part we're all sort of connected but we all have to do it and that maybe the liberation some of us need is from this individualized nature that we have sort of grown very accustomed to we've forgotten in such a sense that we belong to each other I think that's exactly right. We we need to be remembering that we deeply and profoundly belong to each other. Mm. You know, in in um, one of you know the first half of the book is about the Bible, the second half of the book is about contemporary liberation thinkers, and I in one chapter bring together many of them, including including Dr. Martin Luther King and Abraham Heschel and Martin Buber and and many many others, um, Paulo Freire and. They all say is the problem of modern society is that we've not 
in in caring, mutual, loving relationship to yeah. each other. Yeah. Under of um the other with God and if we're not enacting that friendship with each other then we're not enacting our friendship with God yeah oh that's fascinating yeah this idea of I mean I just I'm I don't know because I don't spend a lot of time um in Jewish culture as I do obviously in Christian culture but one of the things that we see that's its own sort of pandemic is exactly that this idea that somehow I can serve God but I don't have to serve the other and to realize, no, that's very much, that's very much connected. You know, that's, um, you really can't do one, one without the other. Um, so can, here's a, can I say oh, something? Yeah. Yes, please do. I think in many ways, um, well, I'll speak about Judaism, but it's probably true about other religions as well, <clears throat> that our understanding of spirituality <clears throat> has lost in some ways its moral muscle, mm. meaning that we think of spirituality as being some sort of pious, mystical, connected relationship to God. Yeah. And as in the Torah and in the Bible, a fundamental part of spirituality is working for justice and concern yeah. for the other. Yeah. I think to me it's really significant that at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, which in, in Hebrew tradition are not commandments, the, the ten words, the ten principles, um, God um, introduces God's self. And God could have said, I am the God who created all that is, who created billions of galaxies, who was there from the beginning to the end. But what God says is, I am the larger God who brought you a land of Egypt and a house of bondage, which is to say, the most important thing you need to know about me, God, about God, is I'm a God about liberation. I'm going to call you on your liberation journey. And if you want to be with me, you need to be on this liberation journey, which involves looking at who's marginalized, who's oppressed, who's not getting the benefits of the society, and being concerned about those people who are on the marches, those people who are not uh, fully participating, who don't have health care and housing and good educations and all, all of all of them. Uh, no, that's so true. That's exactly right. I love that you pointed that out. Why, um, why does Judaism say the ten words? Um, I'm thinking about what the the phrase words does. What the fruit of that is versus commandments. I think so many times we've heard commandments, and then they've really become this, uh, for at least in the Christian tradition, this really rigid set of rules that makes God this mean person. And we don't hear about that first, that he's the God of liberation. So I'm, I'm compelled by that word choice there. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah. You know, in the book, I think you noticed that I translated the word commandment as charge, mm -hmm. which feels much more relational. The whole yeah. idea, and I do think <clears throat> that our traditions get co-opted by um, elite powers to interpret them in ways serve elites. And so it serves elites to think of God as angry, uh, punishing, controlling, authoritarian figure. The people as a wayward people who need that kind of authoritarian figure to keep them perhaps in line. Mm. You know? Um, yeah. But the 
God of the Hebrew Scripture is a God who wants to be in intimate relationship with the people and lead them on a liberation journey. So the whole idea of giving a commandment is, is I, I like, I ever saw the movie Wives, where these wives are like automatons, you know? Um, you yeah. know like, 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 it's not like God wants automatons. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's not like God wants to say, yes, I, I'll do it exactly like that. Because there's no human development in that. There's no human growth in, in, in that. And God is concerned about the flourishing of everything, including the human being. You know, so yeah. not concerned with blind obedience, concerned with intimate, faithful relationship, right? Mm. So <clears throat> the idea of words are these are principles that we are aspiring ourselves to live by. Like, thou shalt not covet. Now, everyone you know, has moments of coveting. It's not like we can just done yeah. do that, that kind, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, honor your mother and your father. <laughs> we, these are things that we, <clears throat> that we aspire to, you know? Yeah. And, and so the other thing that, that's very sweet is that in, in Exodus, the, what are called commandments are called the Ten Words. And in Genesis, God speaks, the rabbis understand, ten times. And so the rabbis align the ten sayings of the creation process and the ten words of the Ten Commandments as a way of teaching that these principles are woven into the fabric of creation itself, which is this is moral creation. Which is to say, if you do not act in a way that serves the function of all, your society will ultimately end down because society is, the world is designed in such a way that <clears throat> flourishing is energized and oppression is ultimately deconstructed. So yeah. the word contains between the, the relationship between Genesis and creation and those 10 words <clears throat> is really, really important in understanding that God not only created a physical world, but created a moral world as well. Mm. Oh, that's really good. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I like, um, I love that word choice and that picture and bringing it back to um, being a God of liberation. It sets up these, these charges or these mm -hmm. invitations as um, almost, I see them so differently now, instead of like, these are things you must do of these are things um, that will ultimately bring internal liberation on this like journey of life. Um, I don't know. That's how I'm seeing. That's how I'm seeing it when you were saying it that way. Exactly. I mean, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Once, you know, God willing, neither one of none of us have murdered or stolen something. But have we fully honored love? You know, in, in all its dimensions. No, that aspiration. Have we dealt with our material being and what we um, own and possess in a way that's honoring all of us? I think that's a, a, a goal that all of us need to meet. So rather than national not steal, something else they have to do, it's really looking at what is your relationship to material goods and to consumption? Yeah. Yeah. An aspiration, a principle to, to guide us. Oh yeah, it's a guide. It's a guiding light there. I love, I love that. I'm gonna start using that to describe it now, <laughs> um, in such a different way. Um, so we're in the middle of this pandemic, and yeah. we started talking about we started talking about Passover, 
and that it was an event in history, but that it's a, a charge to relive that as in our own spiritual lives now. So I can't help but think about um, what it means to need liberation now yes. and how this is going to change us as a global people. I think we're used to having things change us individually and even maybe within our family. But this global sense of we're all sort of facing this same need to be liberated from from this virus and then from the economic fall downs and from all of these different things that are coming from it. And so I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that and how we can carry this forward just as um, someone might carry the celebration of Passover forward as a celebration of liberation all the time. How can we mm. carry this as we go forward um, so we can hold it and we can continue to learn from it? Yes. Yes. Thank you, Bonnie. I think that's such an important question, you know, and, and uh, it's something that I'm very much struggling, obviously struggling with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in terms of the Passover story uh, and the 10 plagues, we are living in the midst of a, a plague and uh, a really great um Rabbi, Rabbi Sharon Browse in Los Angeles, she equated this to the ninth plague. The ninth plague was the plague of darkness, and the darkness was so thick that the people couldn't see each other. Yeah. And, you know, and she makes the point, you know, the plagues get increasingly worse, and what makes darkness so terrible is the ninth plague. And she says it's that the plague of we can't see each other, and, and that we've lost our connection to eat each other and you know and and the way forward needs to be seeking every way we can even while we're needing to isolate ourselves in our homes but especially as we move forward into we leave our homes um, to how do we move forward seeing each other seeing everybody mm. you know yeah i think we're going to have an incredible risky opportunity to uh, make a much more caring interconnected world or we could imagine regressing to a much more selfish self-centered world you know and and so I, i i i think that Something that I've been thinking about is that, um, you know, the, the Egypt for the people in the Bible was a very dark and dangerous place. And there's plagues of dark and dangerous time. And, you know, in the story, the Israelites during the 10th plague are all huddled in their home, like we're all huddled in our, our homes. And... So part of the message I'm taking is that how do we find God present right here, right now, in this place? Mm-hmm. What, what is God that we can find here? 
and that the, the, the people in some way found this God ration in the darkest place. So can we find the presence of this God that calls us to free all of us and to enter into loving relationship? Can we deepen enough to find this God in this dark place? So that's one thought I have. The other thought is the, um, the liberation wasn't like, oh, great. <laughs> we, we leave Egypt and we've arrived in the promised land. Like we talked yeah. about earlier, liberation was into a wilderness, which had its own demands and fears and challenges. And I, I think that if we want to put together something that we think is going to be the promised land, we're not going to be listening, that we really need to be willing to be on a, a long journey towards more and more just society. You know, the rabbi said that there were 49 different stages that the people had to go through uh, between Egypt when they received the Torah at Mount Sinai. You know, and it's the wisdom of, of, of the liberation thinkers that I cite in, in, in my book. Like, like, we don't know how to move forward, how to create this new society that we want. Um, we, we don't know it all, you know. But what we can know is two things. We can know the direction in which we go, which is towards liberation, which means towards more seeing the other, listening to the other beloved community. And we can do our best to say, what's the next step? What's the next step that we can take towards more loving community. And I think if we think practically about healthcare and about immigration and about housing and about employment and about wages and about immigration and about all those things, we can discern, well, what's the next best step? It's not the promised land, but it's heading in the direction of caring for the welfare of, 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 of all. And I, I think that's really important because otherwise we get so limited in our imagination you know the prophets are so much about imagining something that's unimaginable you know like god says to isaiah do you see i'm doing a totally new thing here take a look see it you know and yeah. if we expect ourselves to come in full vision we're going to limit our imagination i think we need to use our imaginations to see well, what's the direction and what is the next step that we can take on, on our communal liberation journey I love, I love that. that. I think that's that's very beautiful. And it this you know, there's such a through line with all this with the charges, right? And and where's the charge? How does it resonate in this time? Because in our little town here in California, where we're watching all those small businesses, we've been having weird power outages because of fires. So they've been shutting our power down for in the in the earlier part of the year. And then now with the with the shelter in place, all these small businesses we're watching all these friends and neighbors, like their livelihoods are collapsing and they're freaking out. And it's hard to like, to look and find the ways to support and to be intentional with um, community and to try to be imaginative and to try to be so intentional with the way that we like reach out. Like yesterday I saw an article about in Nevada on the, um, in the parking lots, they're painting, um, isolation squares for the homeless to sleep on mm. and instead of trying to deal with helping 
you know, one of the richest nations in the world trying to figure out how to actually give shelter to people. They just painted six foot squares for people to sleep on. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a difficult time. I love this idea. Cause I think, like you said earlier, the, this idea of an infinite God kind of, you know, trying to chase after this infinite God, that that is a, that is a pursuit that continues. And then we can never mm-hmm. quite get the whole thing. And I love this idea that we're that imagination is so necessary to continually grow in that way. And that this is the time to really kind of, you know, dig into that imagination and, and figure and out what that charge each is. Other. Yeah. Yeah. In a new way. Um, yeah. yeah in, that's... in Santa Fe, we have a whole bunch of empty hotel rooms. And so the city is paying you know, a, a, a sum, but less than the full rent of the you know, full fee to put homeless people in hotel rooms. That's amazing. And services to bring food and, and, and other needs there. So, yeah. yeah. I read this. Yeah. That reminds me, I read this book to my kids. Um, and it's called, um, I think it's called That Is, or God Must Be Like That. And it's about this little boy who says he can't see God, but then he goes throughout his day and he sees kindness and love and joy. And then he learns, oh, God must be like that. And so when you were saying that um, about sort of in the dark, can we see each other and can we find God? When I hear stories like that about hotel rooms, I think, oh, God must be like that. You know, this idea of, oh, we are starting to see people on a new on a new level. I love that. And, and seeing what people are doing that's inspired and say, Oh, God must be like that. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Yeah. It's a cute, it's a children's book and we, we read it cause my, of course they do. Cause I do struggle with, I want to ever see God. I don't. So I kept trying to say, um, oh gosh, how can I get that point across? And then I stumbled across it and it's a beautiful book. It's a really, it's a really good book. Um, I wanted to uh, ask I, you. To, yes. I uh, today I have a study part studying a, a, a great rabbi who uh, wrote a book called um, Orinayim, the, the 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 light of the eyes, and uh, Rabbi Nachman um, of Chernobyl. And great teaching, which is that uh, when you fall into a dark place, what do you do to find God there? And he says, you say to yourself, am I alive? And if you're alive, that God is the aliveness in all this. And so if I'm alive, God is with me in this aliveness. Yeah. So, and, and then, and then and I, I think about, well, then how, how is this aliveness calling me forward to, to be of service, you know, in, in, in this dark place? Yeah. But so, you think, you know, that, you know God is like that. Uh, it, it's so held, I find, to, to, to say, well, am, am I still alive? Yeah, in this day, that's a gift. Yeah, it really I'm alive. is. And then to feel, to feel the aliveness in us and to feel that God's presence as that aliveness. And I think as we come into contact with that, then it's 
forward onto the next step for us. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's so true. Anytime there is an aliveness, that is where that, that must be what God is like. Yeah. I've been trying to go on hikes, uh, whether I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing that in the mornings, but I, we live right <laughs> on a Canyon. So I'm just been kind of going down into the Canyon in the mornings and you'll get about halfway down and you're in, you're in the, you're in all the trees. It's been raining. So everything's very green. The river is running and you kind of get that feeling of it's just, it's quiet and you can just, I don't know, for me, in a lot of ways, that's kind of like the slowing down and just listening for a second and feeling and seeing, um, and being able to just stop and process and think and listen mm -hmm. and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's been, those have been kind of some of those moments of a little bit of freedom within the dark, the darkness, that aliveness yeah. within the darkness. Yeah. I also find that going and going up the mountains and being in the forest is so it's medicine I need, right? Yeah, so life-giving. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. The miracle of, 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 of ending life, the, the miracle, you know, in our, you know, the miracle of a juniper, the miracle of pinon, you know, mm -hmm. the miracle of a flower. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. Um, can I ask you, too, something I, um, at heart, I'm a deeply creative person. I love... Um, to create things and to look at things from different angles. And so I have, I live with this tension and I think a few people that I've talked to right now in this space do too. So we have this, this sense of darkness and isolation and aloneness. And then I have that same sense. Um, but in sort of this co cocoon or womb, something that reminds me of like the belly of the whale scenario that like we this hope that we're going to come out and have a rebirth yes. into something new right like yeah. this imagery like i keep thinking about those images of so many of the images of god as um as a mother hen protects her children yeah. like yeah. this sort of place or even in ezekiel 37 where you see this womb language of the of the bones yeah. coming together like what happens when a baby is formed so this i have this sense of um despair and isolation and darkness but then i have this other sense of darkness that feels much like what it feels to be knit together again and sort of yes. i have this bubbling hope yes um, and so i don't know do you feel like that's there too um what are your thoughts on that sort of stuff that sort of bubbles up even in the midst of pain and fear and anxiety? Well, I, I don't know if I can say it any better than you just did. I, I love that, you know, and that sense of um, God being the womb one, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, the womb one. And yeah. um, it's a common term for God in, in rabbinic literature that, that, that God uh, is the Rachaman, that God is the womb one. Mm. And um, and that, that womb is a dark place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a dark place full of creative potential, right? Yeah. And so that's so true for us now. This is very, we, 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 of course, can't, don't want to deny the darkness, the reality. And, right. 
the suffering and awfulness. Um, and when things are all falling apart, the potential for creativity and newness is, is so great. And, uh, and we particularly need humans to find out that we are all artists, you know, mm. that, that God calls us all to be creative and to be artists. And, and the artist in all of us has been called in this time. How can I bring forward something, you know, yeah. and um, including social art, including by that, I mean, how we live together, you know, and yeah. how we, how we can bring forth imaginative, creative possibility out of this dark time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I, love I that. think and there'll be, you know, attempts to clamp down and go back. And so our energy in envisioning and enacting and in dreaming and creating is really important. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like maybe that maybe that is the the paintbrush of how we end up seeing each other. You know, when we can remember that we're artists and that we're creative um I think there's I think there's something that happens there in that process that I get to see you differently because I see what you're bringing into the world and I see Tim differently or those people around us because of the the space we get to make for each other in this time um, is it's unique. I love that, that you just articulated about seeing each other as artists. Or what are we bringing forward? You know, I think it's yeah. really powerful that um, after the liberation, when the people are in the wilderness, the first thing that they do is they get busy as artists building mm. the tabernacle, you know, and it says yeah. clearly that, you know, people were bringing all kinds of stuff. They were bringing threads of, 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 of crimson and gold, and they were bringing different skins and fabric, you know, bringing together and, and, and you know, that, that they were all participating, you know, and it's yeah. a, in, in a way, it's a um, stark contrast to, the slaves who were building the pyramids for Pharaoh, you know, that rather than that, yeah. everybody was there. Everyone's wisdom was woven into. And I, I really like that sense of threading things together. And, and so what it would be like to realize that, I mean, a person, you know, life form is doing something creative in this very moment, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm looking out at my pear uh, trees, you know, and they're about to bring forward these, beautiful blossoms i mean how do they do that to take you know sun and water and soil and make these beautiful i mean that's that's artistry you know but but yeah but to look on all of us as artists in our own way that we're all called you know i i think we're called to, to love and to create that's what we we're called yeah. to, do, to love and to create yeah which that's is a yeah. beautiful image and that disparity between the the pyramids in the tabernacle is that's a really powerful image i'm gonna mm -hmm. be thinking about that for for a while for a long time yeah and how how we bring forth what we bring forth to what motives under yeah. who you know how we're seeing each other um, this weaving and, of humanity to build a temple like is a really yeah. powerful a very powerful yeah. image yeah. yeah and i love that you brought up oh good please go honey i was gonna say your pear tree um, because I noticed that as well. Like the whole world seems to us have stopped yet. We have a flowering pear tree. It's non-fruit outside of our house. And all of a sudden one day it's like, it just bursts forth. And yeah. I was reminded like, Oh, the whole world hasn't stopped. 
Like there's still something moving and creating there's a spring and coming newness. after this winter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and among our own selves and in, in our isolated homes, we're also, God is also at work in each one of us calling us to bring forward, forth. Yeah. 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 Oh gosh. Well, thank you so much, Rabbi Nahum. This has been, I like, this has been so soul giving. I rarely go back and listen to episodes, but I'm going to (laughs) go back and listen to this one. (laughs) It actually took a lot of restraint for me to not to take notes. And I was like, you can go back. (laughs) You can listen again. Well, um, I, I've had fun. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, Tim. This has been yeah. fun, very much fun for me. It's been alive uh, for me, and well, it's really, really been a great pleasure. Thank, thank you for this opportunity. I'm, thank I'm you. grateful to both thank of you for sharing you. your wisdom. Wish you well in in yours, in yours, and w- wish you well in both taking care of yourself and. Uh, in your art. <laughs> oh, you too. I love it. You too. Thank you so much. This has been such a treat. So thank you. Shalom, shalom. All right. So that was the interview. And I hope you guys uh, were able to pick out some of his key phrases despite despite the audio. And Tim, thank you so much for doing all that. Um, there was so much in there that made me think there was so much in there that made me look at the the scriptures differently of then and now so I don't know we hear so much right now about um I I got a text message from somebody yesterday about how this virus was God's judgment and they pointed out like locusts that were in Africa and an earthquake and the fires in Australia and so we should like repent and return so to hear him um draw upon sort of the liberation aspect of the plagues and the wilderness and God taking care of us was a totally different take of still using scripture to find our place sort of, but not in this judgmental way. And the other thing that really stuck out to me was when he said, we practice Passover, um, we celebrate Passover because it happened, but also because it should keep happening within us. And that really made me think about Um, Good Friday and Easter, I generally do think of those things just as historical events and not as a continual spiritual journey that I'm on as well or that we are on as well. So that sort of shifted focus for me, um, which was timely considering it's coming up. Yeah, it's interesting. Paul does the same thing as a good Jewish thinker. He Mm. does the same thing with the crucifixion, right? It's not just something that happened as an event, but we are being cru- crucified with Christ. Yeah. And um, it's a, an ongoing present reality. It's not just that Jesus died, so I don't have to, but I am in the process of joining him mm. in his crucifixion. And I've always I've always been super fascinated by Jewish spirituality because they there are many reasons. One, it's just super earthy. Yeah. Um, it's not far off, like Moses writes in Deuteronomy. Um, two, I love that it's, um, about here and now, not just then and there somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the practice. Uh, I think it's called amnesis. It's, it's not remembering as if something were happening, but it's reenacting. Oh. Um, so, so when he said, you know, um, 
we're not celebrating what happened then, we're celebrating our journey today. That's what that that's what that kind of act of remembering is. And Paul invites mm. us into it in, you know, the not only the crucifixion, but in communion. So it's mm. not just, you know, he uses all these different tenses when we talk about the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Um, and so I loved, you know, first of all, I, I would just want to be friends with that dude. I know. And then um but I love kind of the window into Jewish spirituality because a lot of uh, people I've met over the years who are from that perspective just marvel at how crazy and weird Christians are with their obsessions about the afterlife. Mm, you know, the, yeah. the, like their whole spirituality is driven by that. Yes. Mm. <clears throat> and yeah, so that was a great e- counter. I know, because that's a really great point, Erie, because even when, um, even when I'm grasping the here and now, right? I still have a drive of the afterlife being like, well, I should practice here and now because someday in the afterlife, it's still connected. Do you know what I mean? It's so very mm-hmm. much a driving force. And part of that's just the way the church I grew up in. Um, but yes, you're right. I have another friend who's a rabbi and she, I'll ask her a question and she'll say, oh, that's not even, that's not in the text. That's something you're imparting on like an old Testament text. She's like that's something you're imparting maybe from your heritage or whatever it is. But, from our standpoint, we're not even thinking about the afterlife in that text. And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's very different. Well, and I think that, I think Paul is eschatological in the sense of he does, he has this now and not yet vibe, right? Mm-hmm. That we've talked about before, that, that there is something happening now and there is something happening in the future. But what, but what, what we've done so the so, so there is that kind of thinking for sure in the bible but it's it's not um because you're you're right on it's not the punishment uh, the carrot and the stick kind of yeah. thinking that drives it mm-hmm. right it's much more um in in the new testament it's much more around what 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 goes into new creation as opposed mm-hmm. to me being judged in my individual good and bad deeds. And there's a movie that plays in heaven. And so I'm fearful of, yeah, of that. Does that make sense? Yes, totally does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I because love, there... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go. I was just going to say, I love that because there, when you bring up Paul there, because I, when I have conversations like this or hear conversations like this or read conversations like that, it helps me read some of that Jewishness that like you're saying in Paul that um, I have traditionally imparted even American evangelicalism on the text. So to mm, go, oh mm, no, that yeah, is in too. there. It, it opens it up for me a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tim, Tim I, what were you? Yo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tim, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's two things. One for me is that I just, I, and I think that Mike, you've done a good job of this in the past. Like we, tend to not have a very good um, relationship or understanding of the Old Testament. You know, we've, I think I, I definitely grew up in a world that was very New Testament focused, right? And a lot of times at youth events or stuff, they just, they only give you the New Testament. Maybe you've got Psalms in there as well, but it was those little like redacted Bibles that only had yeah. New Testament. Uh, and so having people like Mackie and different people on that kind of crack it open a little bit and be like, hey, this is a... Uh, here's how you can read this and here's how this, it, you know, goes hand in hand with um, the new Testament and stuff. So, and then going through acts right now at church and just kind of sitting in this idea of um, this marginalized, marginalized Jewish sect um, 
that goes on this journey and that we then become like adopted into that and we take on the lineage of that and kind of take on a lot of the history of that as part of our so when he's talking about all this stuff you know and he's not going past the breaking point of old testament and new testament right jesus is not coming to this conversation but and sitting in all this stuff and taking like kind of just marinating in this culture that we have become part of yeah to me is really fascinating or the, mm-hmm. that lineage is is kind of in there and so i really appreciated that and then we were talking about the one thing that really stuck with me that I was going to be thinking and I'm still thinking about, this has been a couple of days now, was the uh, the people um, weaving together the tabernacle, the story that he told about that, like the, the um, pyramids being built bricks by slaves and this mm-hmm. tabernacle being built by the community coming together and weaving together all of what they could bring to it. Yeah. You know, like building this family quilt yeah. or whatever and the difference between those two structures and mm-hmm. what they stood for and then how they were built and and this one being woven together with all of all of God's people bringing what they could to to build it and to weave that together is such a beautiful image. Yeah. And I really I just that that has kind of stuck with me. That's been kind of hanging on me that I just keep going through and processing over and over again and thinking about. I don't know why, but it really that really struck me. Yeah. I think that I agree. And it was so funny. He said it just like that's a normal thought he has. And we were like, whoa, yeah. the passing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. say that again. I know. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's a beautiful picture. And I think so timely um, hmm. in terms of maybe even how we'll be different when we come out of this coronavirus thing, right? Like, I think we have, I hope we have, or I feel a stirring of that we're remembering how connected we are and how much we need each other and how we all depend on each other. Um, and so we can see some of that now, um, but also I hope in the future, you know, we're not looking yeah, at it as time for the church. Yeah. You know, we're not like looking... you brought that up in the last, was it the last one or I can't remember which one, but you brought up the idea that there's a beautiful deconstruction that needs to happen with the church. And this could be right. Is that, am I wording that correctly? That that could be happening now. And you're seeing ch- a lot of churches trying to be intentional and innovative with how to reach their community and there could be some really wonderful seeds sown if that continues out of this. Like once the doors are all open back up and we're all kind of creeping out of our houses with, you know, dreadlocks and full beards and, and whatever, like (laughs) it'd be interesting to see the way the church, like, do we, do we push into this new thing where we've been trying to be intentional with our community and with each other or will everything kind of just go back to, will, will will we want to go back to the status quo? Yeah. Kind of pick up the original MO. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. We will. So, yeah. Any more thoughts? No. Well, I, no, go ahead, Tim. No, I don't. What were you, <laughs> you going to say? I was going to say, Mike, <laughs> give us some thoughts. <laughs> no. No, I mean, I, I, um, I, always need to be reminded that the step after liberation is wilderness mm-hmm. and not promised land. Mm. And, and he rightly, you know, brought that same pattern up with Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the way Jesus responds to the temptations, those were the temptations given Israel in the wilderness. I mean, there, this is a huge part of Jesus's ministry mm-hmm. was learning in the wilderness, right? To be hungry, to do without, to, you know, all of those sorts of things. And so, you know, um, I always want to skip 
wilderness and head straight to promised land. But the point, Mm -hmm. the point of wilderness is to learn how to be free, Mm -hmm. right? To live as a free people. And so what God does in Exodus is, I mean, he's teaching them all of these brutal, uh, but, uh, you know, critical lessons of, um, here, manna, you know, I, I'm actually going to teach you that, um, you can't feed yourselves, but I will feed you. Do you know what I mean? That's a brutal lesson. Mm -hmm. That's a hard freaking lesson. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, and he literally 40 years worth of, of wilderness wandering. Um, and so it just, it just strikes me, you know, as he was, he was talking about Passover that when I hear the word liberation, I immediately think of, oh, great, you know, whatever liberation means to me. Mm. And I think of blessing or I think of whatever. And that's not quite what it is. You right. know, liberation means you're now, you're now available to be formed, Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, in in uh, in into newness, um, because sometimes the promised land is so different from what you've experienced, you would reject it, you know, or you would be afraid of it or you wouldn't claim it. Yeah. 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 No, that's so good. I love that you said that the, the wilderness is how we learn to be free. Um, that's such a crazy picture because you would think, oh, I'm set free. I can I know what to do. And it's right. not slavery is so habitual and and ingrained, and they even say that too of people that have been um, rescued out of sex slavery, or these these different things, um, child trafficking, or even abuse, and then it takes them a long time to learn to be free. So that's, right. that's a great Absolutely. picture. Well, you even you even have examples in American culture where the Emancipation Proclamation was announced and proclaimed mm-hmm. by Lincoln. But it took years mm-hmm. for that to really filter into the consciousness. I mean, at, at least a hundred. Yeah. But but in reality, I mean, it took it took about a decade or so. I've read uh, for um, some African American folks to actually believe they were free. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so no, it's just an interesting it's just an interesting thing. So Passover becomes. Um, you know, in the New Testament, it's a salvific picture of what Jesus does, mm-hmm. but it's also this beautiful sort of poetic illustration of what Jesus does over the course of a life, you know, not just, just in a moment of salvation, but over the course of, um, what it is when he says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received, like that happens in the wilderness. Yeah. That's not, that's not stuff that just happens naturally, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it seems like we spend a lot of time. I don't know if you'd agree with this, Bonnie, but it seems like we spend a lot of time on the, the getting to the freedom part mm-hmm. and not a heck of a lot of time on the wilderness and yeah. the necessity of the wilderness part. Would you agree with that? Oh, I would totally agree. And it, even um, no matter which side, right? Like um, if you're deconstructing or even if you're consider yourself uh, very conservative, what, whatever it is, I think any we all do that. It's like. It's the sticky, the middle, the learning to be free, the letting go, the holding intention that we want to rush that up, like speed that up. And we also don't talk about it a lot. Yeah. Yes. Or, or, or we'll set it in opposition to faith. Yes. That is so true. Yes. I, you know, when I like after we lost our baby and there was this big season of grief, you there like that was obviously a wilderness of its own and um people would always say like oh i see you're super struggling 
or you've lost your faith or this and that. And I'm like, wait, what? Right, right. <laughs> no. <you're> like, well, <laughs> like in actually, a, like and so it's just it's so funny. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I wilderness. I don't know. I mean, Tim, going back to your question about how the church emerges, I find the distinction between the uh, the um, the 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 temples and the pyramids versus the tabernacle to be um, to be very relevant in what the church decides to do out of this. Yeah. And in other words, you have this great opportunity to pit, you know. I was going to use strong language there um, to <laughs> dispense with the polish and excellence and show man and womanship of the whole production and get back to the, you know, what, what this has done. This has flattened everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I open Facebook and they're just random people on there preaching. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I know. And, and then they're really good people preaching to, I mean, it's just it's it's just an interesting interesting thing. Well, we want well, we want the pyramids again. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you know, in a, in a harsh kind of way, there there is liberation in all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as we're liberated from our distraction and from our um, amusement, and from and now we're confronted with our deep sadness, our disappointment, our families. You know, it's just interesting. Yeah. It's just yeah. interesting. You know, this is very much wilderness. Yeah. So I, I thought the rabbi lived up to that title, you know, very well. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. He was, he was a very good man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was good. It's just like so much to think on and it's so... On so many Did levels. Did I just ruin it? No, it was what just, just happened? It was like a mic drop. It was like a mic drop moment. So I didn't... We're all processing together. Yeah, I was like, oh gosh, yeah. I was like, all these images are going through my head. I'm like... <laughs> it's just hard not to correlate it to like... And we've already talked about this and we can be done with the episode. But the... Um, with the with like the people in the looking in the Venice canals right now and seeing the fish and seeing dolphins swimming in there. And they're like, oh my... Like, yeah. What in the world? And then... The satellites seeing China for the first time in a very long time through the smog and stuff. There's like this, just this like a little bit of a reset. It feels Mm -hmm. like, and I and I don't ever want to minimize a lot of the you know obviously the sickness and the death and the things that are happening and and to not ever take away from that. But we are seeing like these little glimpses of that, and so when I when I think about that and I think about or and um, I I can edit all this stuff out, but the this is a question more i'm trying to remember like one of the things that god was doing with when, when they were in exile and he was like i'm not you're gonna get back to this place but the, what i want you to not do is i don't want you to make any treaties because i want you to rely on like this whole point of this was learning how to rely on me and, and see mm-hmm. the freedom in this right and then, then the first thing they do when they get there is make treaties and kind of try to set <laughs> yeah. up their own like comfort zone mm-hmm. and you just see god being like ah like <laughs> i just was... said <laughs> yeah it's so true i read a thing too that said the earth um was shaking less it said because people mm. are staying at home the like normal noise and seismic activity of the earth has quieted oh interesting yeah and it was like 
there's usually this low-grade rumble we hear all the time because people are out and factories are running and buses and whatever, but now that that's not happening, and I just had this picture of, like, the earth ended up, like, we're sheltered at home and we're forced to be quiet, but, like, the actual earth itself has, like, is still, has, like, quieted yeah, down. And what a crazy well, picture think about, that is. Think about, I mean, uh, that's so good, you guys, because there's, what did God intend for the year of Jubilee? Right? Mm. So... Yeah. So like you're building into the rhythm a day off uh, every week and then a a year off every seven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then after seven sevens, you have this year of Jubilee. Mm -hmm. And what was God enforcing there? It was like it was a, it was a nationwide Sabbath economically, um, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. Right. I mean, it yeah. was it was forced um, exactly what you're saying. It was for Sabbath. Mm -hmm. yeah. Debts were, re, you know, debts were forgiven. Land went back to its property. Slay. I mean, it was like, it massively restructured society. Yeah. And that's why they never did it. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, and well, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. but you know, you look at, at the conversations that are being had around, how do we care for the artists and the waiters and the servers and the yeah. the people in the service industries? How do we thank the medical workers and how do we applaud the teachers and how do we um, how do we take uh, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine weeks and not we're not able to find it or be as productive as we want to be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's some deep prophetic stuff in there. Yeah. It's, that doesn't mean it's from God or that God's happy people are dying or anything like that. But, but you're right. There's, there is something, there's a groaning, mm -hmm. you know, that's been, it almost feels like it's been building up, Yeah. you know, for years. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 um, I'm really hopeful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, a, in a weird way, you know? I think it's brutal and awful and terrifying and and yet you know i think a conversation like this comes at with the rabbi i think it just comes at the right time yeah, yeah. well we have we hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did and that um we'd love to hear your thoughts on wilderness and kind of what this space is bringing up for you guys and how we can all come together bam mm -hmm.